that today we're talking about deacons as we continue through our series of eavesdropping on godly counsel in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we, are, uh, we like to honor people that have served well, and today we have a distinct honor of, of honoring somebody that's very close to Michelle and I, Michelle's dad. Uh, he was not anticipating this, but we have a plaque for him. With gratitude for five decades of faithful service as a deacon, Lloyd Fannin, deacon emeritus. And the reason for that is my father-in-law, he's 89. He has served as a deacon for five decades. Uh, he was at one church for uh, four decades. And at one time, he was a chairman for 10 straight years. Now, David, you thought you served a long time, but 10 straight years. And uh, he served well, and so I thought it was just appropriate for us today as a church that we do so well at honoring people. He has served well for such a long time. We want to honor him as a deacon emeritus. Papa, we got a plaque for you. There you go. Congratulations. We're going to go out to lunch and celebrate after this. He didn't know that, but we are. Well, I've shared this story with you before that was shared with me by one of my seminary professors, Dr. Doyle Young. It goes well with what we're talking about today as deacons. He talks about a very wild occurrence in church history. In the late 1800s, there were two deacons that belonged to a small Baptist church in Mayfield County, Kentucky. Some of you remember me telling this story before. Two deacons absolutely hated each other, but they were only two deacons in the church. They opposed one another at every opportunity they had. And on one particular Sunday, one of the deacons was out. And so the other deacon, deacon took a small wooden peg and he drove it into the back wall of the sanctuary so the minister could hang his hat on the peg. The other deacon was outraged that he wasn't consulted about it. The church took sides, eventually split, and a new church was formed and the departing group that left the church called themselves the Anti-Peg Baptist Church. Now, many of you have heard that story before because I've shared it a couple of times, but I thought it's so fitting as we talk about deacons today because everybody has a deacon story, and some of them are just as wild as the anti-peg Baptist church. But conversely, some of the most meaningful experiences in our church's life are often traced back to the beauty of deacons doing their job well. We're blessed at Westgate, as, as Lane was talking about earlier. We have a, a wonderful group of men who serve as our deacons. And today we have the opportunity to address the foundational passages of Scripture that teach us about the role of deacons. And these two references in the Bible give us the why of deacons. Because I bet for all of you, you say, yeah, I know we have deacons, and you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure who all of them are are, but you know, why do we have deacons? Is that kind of like some prestige if you hang around here long enough or if you know the right people? It's not it. We're going to look today at the why of deacons. I want to share with you the deacon backstory, and that's, that's found in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's right at the beginning point of the early church in Jerusalem. You can find it on Pew Bible 1699 if you want to follow along. 
Let me read the the scripture to you, and you'll remember this if you've studied the Bible much in the book of Acts. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. This is not too long after Pentecost. The church has exploded in growth, and now they meet their very first problem. The Hellenistic Jews, and those were the ones, who, the Jews who had adopted the, the Greek culture, the, the culture as well as the language. They were complaining that the Hebrew Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they're, they're feeling like there's some level of favoritism, that the, the Hebrew widows are being favored over the Hellenistic widows. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables which always happens when there's a big problem. The ministers oftentimes are drawn away from the primary role of offering spiritual guidance and direction and teaching. And so he says, brothers and teachers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them, over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this idea was pleased by the whole group. So they chose seven guys, several of them with very difficult names. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, from from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient in the faith. Problem solved. See, the deacons were called upon to solve a problem at a hinge point in early church history. The church was faced with a question. Would we put physical needs over spiritual needs? Is it time for us to give physical needs preference precedence over spiritual needs? Or will we figure out a way to do both, to meet physical needs as well as spiritual needs? And these seven men were called, there were thousands of people in the church. We look around now and, and we think this, they were thousands of people. It could have been 10, 12, who knows how many thousand people. And they had this problem in which they were, dis- they were distributing food to the widows Because back then there was no social security, there's no government assistance. The church provided. To be a widow in that kind of culture would be to be the most impoverished individual in culture outside of orphans. And there are also people in need. And so anyway, they bring these guys together, figure out a plan. We've got to solve this problem so the church can continue to do what it is supposed to do. And they hired, they put these guys into work and they called them deacons. Deacon literally means servant. And that word shows up a hundred different times in the New Testament, and only a handful of those times it refers to the role of deacon. In Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10, Jesus talks about the greatest among you, and he says, the greatest among you will be servant of all, will be deacon of all, literal same word. In Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, he came to them and said, listen, I am serving you. I am deaconing you. Same word used there as he washed their feet. The apostles are referred to in the New Testament as deacons of Christ, servants of Christ. It's not a a title as much as a role that they filled of serving Christ. In John 12, 26, Jesus equated following him as being a servant of his. Obedience means servanthood. So in reality... Would all of our deacons now stand? 
That would be all of us, right? <laughs> Fooled you on that one, huh? <laughs> all of us are deacons. Christians are called to serve. And when you see that word serve, it's the same word for deacon. And so today, as we look at this, we need to be reminded that, yes, we're looking at a distinct role in the church, <clears throat> a role that we need when problems come to try to prevent problems, to deal with problems, whatever that might be. The role of a deacon was established as part of the early church, but all of us are called to be deacons and to serve. So let's look together at this passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7 through 13 that Lane read earlier. It's almost identical to what we saw last week talking about ministers, except that deacons are not required to teach. They don't have to have the ability to teach because their role is different. They're not providing the teaching ministry, they're providing the serving ministry of the church. It says, in the same way, deacons are to be, and then as we talked last week, it just begins to list out these characteristics. Worthy of respect. That means to be somebody that naturally gains respect. You know, I, I, I tell young leaders from time to time, if you ever have to tell somebody you're a leader, you're not the leader. A leader should naturally be known as a leader, and I have to deal with that all the time. Darren, 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 when I was out at Lamar the other day, one of the guys came up to me because I spoke out there, and, and I was introduced as the pastor of Westgate, and he came up to me, and, and, he, and he said, now, now are, are, are you the, like the pastor at Westgate, or are you one of the assistants? It was like, it's beyond his comprehension that I would be the senior pastor. Well, <clears throat> that happens all the time. But what we need to recognize is when we're talking about worthy of respect is you just live out your life in such a way that eventually people will say, just naturally you will have respect. Sincere, that means not to be a hypocrite. Not, not where you're duplicitous in the way that you deal with people and the way that you handle your life. Not indulging in much wine. We talked about that last week. The word used here is devoted to. Isn't that an interesting thought? Not devoted to wine meaning that it captures your attention and your commitment. And if you're devoted to wine, you can't be devoted to the Lord at the same time. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Again, remember that in the church, they were helping widows, they were helping orphans, and they were helping people in need. And deacons were given that task and responsibility so that the elders and the pastors could continue to follow through with what God had called them to do. And when they're saying about not, not pursuing dishonest gain, it means to not pilfer, because they would be handling the resources that were given. It could have been food, it could have been money. As they were distributing that and helping other people out, they weren't to take advantage of that for their own selfish gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths. Lane was reading from the, the, uh, the ESV translation, the mystery of the faith, with a clear conscience. That, that means that, that you understand this great mystery. What is the mystery? We, we hear that and we talk about what is the mystery? The mystery of the gospel, the mystery that, that didn't completely make sense to people in the Old Testament. People of the Old Testament had faith in God's redemption through the Messiah who would eventually come. But the mystery is this, that Jesus Christ, God, part of the triune God, the Son of God would come and incarnate he would come and be in flesh, and he would live a sinless life. So oftentimes we think about the suffering of Jesus, and we fail to realize that he suffered throughout his entire life of never giving in to temptation, always fighting against that. The incarnation of Christ being here, 
his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the fact that what he has done gives us the opportunity, this mystery, that we can in a moment of time pray and ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and to redeem us and become our Lord and Savior. And in that moment of time in which we see nothing around us change, we are eternally changed, transformed by the power of Christ because the indwelling Spirit of God comes and resides within us. And the Spirit comes as a deposit for us so that when the second coming occurs or when we die, we will be with Christ for all of eternity. Now, if you go out and you try to explain that at the United Nations or on the floor of Congress, and by the way, isn't it amazing that the, we had a government shutdown? Well, they voted to keep going, but they're still shut down, right? If you were to bring that to any place and you talked about what we just talked about, they would say, that's crazy. You really believe that? And it's to say that I not only believe it, I practice it in my life with a clear conscience. It's not like I believe part of it, part of the time, or some of it, but I don't believe all of it. It's to say as a deacon, I believe all of this to the core of who I am, and it dictates the way that I live my life. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. That means to, is, this is not a written test. If you ever wondered about the deacons, I'm going to talk more about the process here in just a second. You wonder about the process. Do they have to take an exam? You know, is it multiple choice? Is it fill in the blank? Is it oral? They don't take an exam. This means to be proven over time. It is the test of public scrutiny. The congregation has seen them over time, and they recognize and realize that these men are proven. I want to, I want to because this, this can be so mysterious. This can be more mysterious than the gospel sometimes about how deacons are chosen and how they operate in the church. I want to I read to you a couple of things. All right, I want to read, first of all, this is a letter. I'm just going to hit the highlights of this. But you wonder, how are deacons chosen, right? You know, who, who does that? Is this a popularity contest? No, no, no. A letter goes out to the church when the deacons sense that it is time for us to expand the deacon body, or maybe some have left and we need to replace and replenish. But listen to just a couple of highlights of this letter. It says, deacons have the unique responsibility of being both visible and invisible. They are to be very visible within the participation of the life of the church, but they're to be invisible with their behind-the-scenes ministry and service to others. And it goes on to describe that these are people who have already, men who have already proven themselves by serving long before they're chosen. This is just a letter going out. Say, okay, now we're nominating men who will hopefully rise to this, no, excuse me, I just completely botched it up. This process is about identifying men, not nominating men who will hopefully rise to the occasion, but ones who have already proven themselves. This is not a popularity contest nor a position of honor to pursue. It's a role of servanthood in both attitude and action. And then it goes on to tell you how you can nominate somebody because deacons are nominated from the congregation for our church, church body, okay? So that letter goes out and it kind of gives us cliff notes. It talks about the bylaws and it comes with this information here. These are the qualifications identified in our church bylaws, all right? And it says they're outlined in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, they serve at the pleasure of the church. The duties are be zealous to guard the unity of the church, attend regular meetings of the deacons. And these are just, I'm just hitting the highlights. To offer oversight of the discipline of the church when we have disciplinary problems. To govern themselves uh, with their officers, their times of meetings. 
they are to always, this is the last statement, they are to always keep in mind that they are servants of the church and have no authority or of whatever kind of their own, only that which is delegated to them by the church. So again, some people say, you know, the deacons run the church. They, they don't. They're a body that gives direction and guidance and service to the church. Okay, so that makes sense? Not really, okay. Well, that's kind of the process. Okay, so then someone's nominated, all right, as a deacon. One of you nominate somebody. And then that person is given a letter before it goes any further to say, do you want to continue in this process? And in that letter, you're first of all agreeing to be nominated, to say, okay, I, I agree to be nominated, and I am not aware of any conflicts with the standards addressed in this letter, which is the scriptural verses that we have addressed here today that we are addressing, and the bylaws of the church. And then in this letter, it says, the deacon body has agreed to uphold themselves to the following standards over and above anything that is mentioned here, things that are not mentioned that they will consistently tithe through the ministry of the church, giving 10% of their income. They will consistently do that, abstain from pornography, and talks about the issue of alcohol. And then you sign this letter to say, I believe that I am not in conflict with any of this, and I affirm and support the practices of these standards. And so they sign it to say, I'm all in with everything that I've seen uh, throughout this interview process, and then that letter goes back, and then it comes to the church. And you hear the deacon share his testimony in front of the congregation, and then you as a church body vote yes or no for a person to become a deacon. So hopefully that makes a little bit more sense of how this operates. So as we talk about this, we're reminded that these guys, when you see, you see the standards that are here presented for the, the guys that will serve as deacons, you're reminded that they do the three things that we tell every new church member that joins our church, three things for you to focus on is to engage, to invest, and to invite. Engage in the activity of the church, to participate in the life of this church. Engage in relationships with other people. Help people to be encouraged and grow. Engage in everything. It doesn't mean that you're here every time the church, church doors are open, but you engage in the life of the church. You're not on the peripheral to invest, just like we talked about. Not only tithing, but investing with the time and energy and resources. Make an investment because where our, where our treasure is, there's where our heart will be as well. And invite, to be about the business of inviting other people to church. And that's a part of what it means to be a deacon. Now, Richard Branson, many of you know, uh, with uh, the Virgin Airlines and the, the, the space industry, stuff, all that, very wealthy man, has dyslexia, and so he has lived by a mantra he calls ABCD, always be connecting the dots. That's what deacons are supposed to do. Always be connecting the dots of what needs to be done to make things move in the direction that they should go. Now, verse 11 gives us a little bit of heartburn. Because it says, in the same way, and again, as Lane was reading in the ESV, it's translated, the wives, it says the, the women are to be worthy of respect. Now this verse, that I've read a number of different commentators, and they all say, that, say the same thing. Some say it's exactly this, some say it's exactly this, but they all concede that we don't know proof positive which direction it goes. Is it talking about that women could be deaconess? 
And there are some, you know, I think many times we think about deaconesses being in liberal churches. But I know some very conservative evangelical churches that have deaconesses, and they operate in a different way in the fact that they simply have a serving ministry like a deaconess for planning weddings and helping out with weddings and the likes. I believe, as I read through this, the context and the way things are said, that this refers to the wives. And some would go back and say, okay, it doesn't refer to the wives of the pastor's elders in the previous passage, but I think, and this again, this is my interpretation because brilliant scholars will tell you we can't know exactly what Paul was saying here. But I think Paul is going back and he's saying, I've talked about the, the elders as men, the deacons as men, now I'm going to talk about the wives of the elders and the deacons. And they are to be, it says here, women worthy of respect. Again, same concept as before. Natural respect. You don't have to try to earn it. You just get it by the way that you live your life. This one made me laugh as I was studying. Not malicious talkers. And other translations say not malicious gossips. And I'm trying to figure out how can you be a gossip and not be malicious? It's not to be a gossiper at all. And women might take offense to that. And commentators very wisely have said, Paul probably said that because women are more communicative than men and they talk more and they think more about relationships and that's why. I'm just telling you what the commentators said. <laughs> Temperate. We talked about that last week, talking about the elders. Again, these, these, these qualifications are so similar. It means to be calming. Not to be a person that stirs up things. You know, you, you think about the, the opportunity of a spoon. With a spoon, you can stir things up, or you can use that spoon to serve other people. And the deacon and his wife are supposed to be serving other people, not stirring things up. Trustworthy in everything. Now, this is kind of like a general blanket statement that, that Paul gives here. In everything, be trustworthy. I love the way that Will Rogers noted it. You shouldn't be afraid to sell your parrot to the town gossip. That's somebody that's trustworthy in everything. You're not worried about what other people might find out. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, just like we talked about last week with the pastors and the elders, ministers, must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and his household well. And you've heard the old statement, the reason the deacon's kids are so bad is because they run around with the preacher's kids. Well, it's a matter of managing your household well so that hopefully doesn't happen. And those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith, confidence in other translations. You see, when you serve well as a deacon, when deacons serve well, here's what happens, is that there is this sense of respect that comes with that. That's not why you're a deacon. That applies to any of us. You live your life well, and people will respect you, right? I mean, I've done enough funerals to know the people that are respected and the people that are not. And if you live your life well, people will just naturally respect you. And Paul is saying, if you do this well, there is a reward. Because there were many that were looked down in this church right now. He's dealing with a crisis of leadership. And he's saying, it's a good thing to serve as a deacon. And to do it well, where you're really a servant. And if you do that, you'll gain greater assurance in your faith. Because as you practice the elements of the faith, 
when you are delving into scripture and you're praying for other people and you're serving other people, it will cause you to grow in your confidence in Christ. So, godly, faithful men who serve to save. That's the point. Godly, faithful men who serve to save. You go back to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. This is where the deacons, and some would disagree, but most would say this is where the deacon, the role of the deacon was established. It says God's message continued to spread. So God's message continued to spread because of what the deacons did. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. When godly men faithfully serve, things happen. People are redeemed. They say the deacon's job, serve to save, save from drifting and save for eternity. You know, this week in our Bible reading, you're going through Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot about the idea of drifting and the anchor that we have. What a, what a beautiful picture that we have that talks about the anchor of what Christ has done. He's put that, he has put that anchor in the Holy of Holies. The anchor is right there in the very throne of God. It is immovable of what we have in Christ. But he says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it was the reading that we had for Wednesday. Be careful that you don't drift. Why? Because we naturally drift. We drift from God and we drift from the church. Those are just natural elements that occur. People never drift in the deeper understanding of God, in a deeper relationship. I've never had someone say, you know, I quit reading the Bible and quit going to church and I feel closer to God than I've ever been. If you feel that way, you're deceived by the evil one. We don't drift into deeper things. We drift away from God. Hebrews 3.10, that was Thursday's readings. It says, our hearts always going astray. Our heart's tendency is to move in the wrong direction. That's why we never want to follow our heart, but we want to feed our heart with truth from Scripture. So we have three nets, what we call here, the three nets at Westgate, to try to keep people from falling away because people can naturally fall away from church and from God. And so the three nets are, number one, the staff, our responsibility is to keep up with people, to be praying for people, to try to encourage people along the way. And someone starts drifting to try to go after that person. Challenging job, because when someone decides to drift away, they usually don't want to be brought back in. So you have the staff. That's one layer. And the next layer is the Sunday school. All of us should be involved in Sunday school. Because in your Sunday school classes, you build relationships in a smaller context. And you can keep up with each other and be aware of things that are going on. And you can keep one another from drifting away from the faith and from the church. And then the third part of that, that net is the deacons. All of the deacons have been, re- have been assigned certain families. And I want you to find this sheet. Uh, did, we, did we get this sheet out? The deacon family sheet? Okay, there's a stack of them. You don't have to look at it now. There's a stack of them back there for you to pick up. This is such a great, helpful sheet. It has all of the, the households listed alphabetically, and next to your name is the deacon. It's probably, it's probably good that you don't have it right now because you would have been looking over it the whole time and thinking about it. And I'm going to tell you, nobody has been intentionally overlooked because somebody's going to find that their name's not on here. <laughs> what kind of church is this? Nobody has been intentionally overlooked. Here, here's, a, here's an issue that we've had. In the midst of COVID, we lost one-third of our deacons. None of them died. Some of them moved away. 
Some of them decided that they were going to go to another church. Some of them had personal issues that caused them to say, I'm not going to be able to serve anymore as a deacon. We lost a third of them. And so we have been in the process of implementing new deacons coming on board, getting deacon families assigned. So if you don't know who your deacon is, we're just in, we're in transition, okay? So if your name is not on here, uh, you will find on this sheet, there's a big old space right here that you can write in big bold print. You can go get a Sharpie, one of those really huge ones, and you can write your name and you can turn it in and say, I was overlooked. And remember, that's what Acts 6 tells us. Deacons were in charge of serving those who were overlooked. And so we'll make sure that you are no longer overlooked. Everybody has a deacon. If you have availed yourself to at least join a Sunday school class, you don't even have to be a member of the church. But we need for you to be in a Sunday school class. Otherwise, we cannot care for you and we can't get things done correctly. Okay, need to wrap it up here. Why? Godly, faithful men who serve to save. I want you to see something. Show us this, this picture that we got of the, the little tree. We got that? All right. That's right out there in the corner. And I don't know how well you can see, but you see that little tree growing up there? That's an oak tree that I discovered this week, okay? Do you see where it's growing? <laughs> it's growing in a gutter. Right now, you, do not leave church without walking over there and seeing it. I mean, if you need to get up right now and go see it, that's fine. But that's what we have over there. And when I saw that tree, does anybody remember what we've been going through for the last several months? One of the worst droughts that we've had in 50 years, right here. And I can't imagine a worse place to plant an acorn <laughs> than on top of a roof that has the sun beating it down with record heat for months, and this tree is over a foot tall now, an oak tree, growing in a gutter. And so for the Building and Grounds Committee, Steve, you're the chairman of that, I'm going to ask for you guys to steward that tree, <laughs> to take it out of the gutter, to nurture it, to replant it, and figure out the most prominent place that we can plant it, maybe out here somewhere, that generations later can go back to the gutter tree. And, and they can say, there is hope in Christ. If an acorn can become a, an oak tree in a gutter during a drought in the middle of the summer, God can do anything, right? Amen. And that's why deacons serve. It's the conviction that God can do anything in our lives. He can bring new life and transformative life anywhere. And that's why we're going to go out next week into the community because we believe God is planting acorns and gutters all throughout this community. Amen? Amen? And so I want you to jump on board and say, if you are living in a hopeless situation, you go look at that gutter tree and you say, there is hope in Christ. And that's why each week we end by saying there are four things you need to know. We, don't, we just started doing this recently to try to make it easier. Four things we need to know and one thing we need to do and the one thing we need to know, first thing is God loves us and he's created us to flourish just like that little tree no matter where we're planted. But the problem is we're sinners. We're in rebellion. We may not realize we're in rebellion. All of us have had relationships in which there was conflict that we were completely unaware of. Our spouse came home and looked at us in a certain way, and we said, what's the problem? And we discovered there was a problem. 
Even if you don't realize there's a problem, we have a problem, and that's our sin. It separates us from holy God, so we can't have a relationship. But the third thing is, thankfully, Jesus Christ can make acorns live in gutters. He can make us right with God. And all we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, to turn away from our sin, and invite Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, become the Lord and Savior of our life, and fully surrender our life to Christ. But if you know those four things, what will happen? You will have head knowledge that will not save you. You must do one thing, and that is to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ in repentance and invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to join in this prayer, and then we're going to have a time of prayer, but let's pray together. God, we, we thank you that you are truly a God of hope. No matter what has happened, what is happening, or what might happen in our lives, you are a God of unbelievable hope. And I pray that, it may sound silly, but I do pray that years from now, people will look at a tree standing on this property and be reminded that you are a God of hope who brings acorns to life in the middle of a drought, on top of a roof, in a gutter. For those that have never received you as Lord and Savior, they've never planted the acorn of their life in the fertile soil of your love, that they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Oh God, thank you that you are a God of hope, of security, of confidence. Thank you for the, the men who serve in our church as deacons and their wives that stand by them and do so much of the ministry. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us that serve to serve well. In your name we ask, amen. Now, in just a moment, I'll be standing over here by the cross if anybody needs to make a decision, but I want to tell you just a brief story and a layout of what we're going to do now, okay? Every Sunday, I ask our triad of deacons for the month to stand at the back of these aisles so you can go and pray for them, uh, pray with them so they can pray for you, excuse me. But today, we're going to flip that. I want all of our deacons now to stand in various spots in the aisles here, front and back, front and back, front and back, all the way through here. If our deacon and their wife, because as I said in my prayer, a deacon's wife so often does such good work. Uh, my wife, uh, I mean, I can't imagine how bad of a pastor I would be if my wife wasn't reminding me of things that need to be addressed. The same is for deacons. So deacons, with you and your wife, if you would stand in these aisles right now, and I'm going to ask you as a church family in just a moment to surround them and pray for them, but I want to tell you a quick story, okay? It's kind of a fun story. Some of you may or may not be Philadelphia, Philadelphia Phillies fans. Back in August, their friend, one of their franchise players, Trey Turner, signed a $300 million contract this last past season, postseason. He's having a horrible season. And if you're getting paid $300 million, you would expect for the fans to boo you, and they had. But Jack Fritz, who is one of the producers for the 94 WIP, the radio station for the Phillies, knew that they were coming back in town and knew that he was messing up and he was not playing well. And he said, instead of booing him, what I want you to do the first time he comes to the plate is give him a standing ovation. 
and they did. He came up for the first time, and the whole stadium stood and applauded him. And all four times that he came to the plate, they stood and gave him a standing ovation. Since then, he's hit, he's hit 16 home runs, 42 RBIs, and is batting 374. Encouragement helps, is what I'm saying. And some of us sometimes feel as if, you know, the deacons are supposed to think, do things that they don't even, they're unaware of. Or sometimes we get jealous. I want to be a deacon. Why am I not a deacon? Friends, these are people that are called to serve in our church, and we want to surround them with encouragement. And I'm guessing right now, if you give them the, a standing ovation of prayer, not a literal standing ovation, but the standing ovation of surrounding them now and praying encouragement over them, I bet they're going to hit better. I bet they're going to play better. I bet they're going to do more of what you want them to do. So would you now as a church family, while we sing this song, just surround these people and pray prayers with whisper prayers over them. Thank God for who they are. Hug them, encourage them. And pray that God would use them in a mighty way. All right, let's do that.
God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.